0: Well, good morning and welcome back to our worship service here today. We're going to now turn our attention to God's word. And so if you take your Bible uh, or whatever device that you have a Bible on and let's open to the book of Habakkuk uh, this morning, we've been doing a study called Hope for Dark Days through this short little book uh, in the middle of the prophets. And so uh, we've been looking at this particular book and we've been seeing that the book of Habakkuk is actually teaching us uh, how we can have hope in dark days. It's interesting when you read the Bible, there's really no place in the Bible that says that things are always going to be good. In fact, it says in this world, you're going to face suffering, you're going to face trials, you're going to have dark days. And the Bible tries to prepare us for when those things happen. And so we've been trying to study to grow about that. And we've been seeing just a quick recap here uh, that in the book of Habakkuk, at the beginning, uh, the prophet is actually crying out to God and saying, God, there's injustice in my land. Would, are, will you ignore it? We're, we're not hearing from you. Would you please come and answer? And, and would you please come and work and, and, and do something to, to help us? in this? And God does answer and he says, I'm going to tell you something that you won't even believe. Actually, I'm going to send uh, the wicked Chaldeans to come and, and really as an act of discipline, I'm going to have them conquer you and remove you uh, from, from the land. And Habakkuk just has all sorts of questions. How could that possibly be? God, you're, you're, how could you're, you as a just and holy God and the eternal God use somebody more wicked than us for this purpose, in the, in this discipline, and, and God says uh, says, well, wait, you you need to trust me and wait. I'm going to take care of them with divine judgment. That's what we learned in the last sermon uh, at the end of chapter two. We see all the different woes that God uh, takes care uh, that pronounces upon this evil evil Chaldeans. But at the same time, he he's saying, I'm I'm going to use them. You're going to need to wait and trust me in that uh, Habakkuk has been so stirred up, first about his own country, then about God's answer. And then it's even been difficult as God has said to wait, but, but Habakkuk comes now and he settles himself down and he composes a song. It's not just any normal song though, it's actually a psalm. It's intended for corporate worship. And we're gonna look at this here today and study it together. So uh, my question here, as I read this text and, and, and as I think about that, wait a second, Habakkuk, you're, you're composing a song, uh, you're in the midst of a crisis, and, and, and the world is turned upside down for you. You're in these dark days, and you're singing. How does Habakkuk do that? In the midst of a crisis of dark days, how does he settle himself and calm himself down and, and is able to write this particular psalm? I got to tell you, I'm asking that because, uh, when I'm in the midst of a crisis of, of a dark day. I don't wait. Now, last sermon, we are two sermons ago. We when we we learned about how to wait for God in dark days. We learned that we are supposed to wait patiently. That waiting is is something that is done with patience, and it's done expectantly in faith, believing God's going to act, and it's done obediently, not giving up and falling into sin, uh, but but. Uh, obediently and God-centeredly, saying, God's going to do this and it's going to be for his glory, and we're supposed to do that joyfully. But when the storm of a dark day is going on within me, that's not how I normally respond. I'm kicking and screaming. Is there anybody, I'm wondering, that actually waits rightly, that that waits correctly, that waits well? And if they do, what do they have to teach us? Because I I have to grow and learn how to do that. Well, I think when we see godly saints, we see that a characteristic that they have is the ability to wait in these ways. They've learned how to do that. And I think one of the prime examples of that is found in the book of Acts chapter 16. We see Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey and they've been called in a supernatural way over into Europe and they've gone to the city of Philippi, one of the leading cities that are there. Uh, They've met with some women outside of the city where the synagogue normally would and and then they've come back into the city and they've freed a demon-possessed girl who was able to, to tell the future. They freed her from that demon, but that made her owner so angry that they hauled them in front of the whole city and, and they literally beat them, beat them with rods. And then they threw them in prison. I mean, if that was the crisis you were facing, if that was the dark day that you experienced, if you were the one that had been beaten because you had helped a girl be freed from demon possession and that made their owners angry, how would you be responding in that moment? Paul and Silas, it says were singing hymns at midnight they were singing in the dark how does somebody get to that place where they're able to calm themselves settle themselves and sing to the lord sing hymns to the lord in the midst of that i mean you and i we would be crying in prison i think we would be shaking our fist at god and angry at him for allowing it we would be anxious about what we didn't know was going to happen next I don't, know, I don't know what's gonna happen and I'm anxious about that. We would be reaching to all sorts of wrong things to try to comfort us. We would be saying that's not right in complaint. But it's interesting that Paul and Silas were actually reflecting what, what David wrote in Psalm 131. Psalm 131 is just three verses long. It says this, "'O Lord, my heart is not lifted up,' meaning proud, You read that psalm and, and, and see so clearly this idea of this, this picture of the, a child that has been weaned, no longer nursing from, from its mother, but, but able to calm, it, calm himself herself without a mother nursing them. So I, I found an article, it's written by somebody I don't even know, named Rebecca Davis, and, and she wrote this. How can I quiet my soul? soul? Until that time of weaning, often as late as three years old, the Hebrew child knew confidently where to find his comfort and satisfaction. It was at his mother's breast. Then the time of weaning comes. Sometimes the mother says, wait. Sometimes she denies him altogether. And because he doesn't understand her purpose or her goal, his soul can become tumultuous. Anxiety will fill his heart, even to the point of raging against his mother, against the world. He thinks that what he wants is his mother's milk, his mother's breast, but what he really wants is comfort and satisfaction. Then he learns that the satisfaction can come in a world of God-given provisions that he had never before experienced, that he never even knew existed. And he learns to find comfort in his mother in a whole new level of relationship, sitting on the loving lap, touching the loving face, of the very one who had denied him the thing that he thought he needed. And his soul becomes quiet. He is satisfied, comforted, happy. The entire community sees and rejoices. The Hebrews would even throw a party to rejoice that the weaned child had taken an important step on the way to maturity. Today, I want to teach you how to sing in the dark. The title of the message is Learning to Sing in the Dark. We need to learn how to calm ourselves in the crisis of dark days so that we can actually obey what God has said. Wait and trust me. We're going to learn to trust God and worship him even in the storms of dark days. Not not after the dark day is done, but in the midst of the storm, in the midst of Paul and Silas being beaten and sitting in that prison as they were singing hymns, we can learn how to do that very thing. One of my sweetest memories of of my kids when they were little was that we, uh, at, at bedtime, I would sit down on a, on a rocking chair and all three of them, I would sit and I would just sing lightly and and sing them to sleep and, and then lay them down in their bed. And we're, we're trying to learn in the midst of the dark how to, like a wean child that has calmed itself and is laying against his mother, or, or in this case, father, Um, that that we would learn to calm ourselves and to wait and trust for God even if the storms around us are raging. So how do we trust and worship God in dark days? That's really the main idea that we're going to try to answer today. How do we do that? How do we trust God in dark days uh, and, and sing to him in the dark. So let's read together Habakkuk chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 15. Read along with me, and then we'll, exp- we'll expound and, and exposit it a bit here. So it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according Shiga- to Shigonanath, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He he looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, or your indignation against the sea, when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice, it lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. So, we see here this song, this the song that Habakkuk has written. And it's it, a song is poetic in nature. And so even as we begin to dive into this here today, we have to, again, deal with the poetry aspect. Some, some of that makes that harder, but in some ways it enriches. And once you begin to understand the outlines, you see the color of the poetry that is there. And in all of this, we're asking, how do we trust and worship God in dark days? And I want to show you three keys to be able to trust and worship God in the dark. So let's start with key number one here this morning. Write this down. Remember that God saves. We see this in verses 1 to 8, where Habakkuk is trying to show us and remind us that it's God who is the one who saves. Habakkuk recalls the stories of what God has done in the past for his people, And in remembering, he's asking, God, will you do it again? That's the the hope of the song that is being written. So think about this for a second. Uh, Even though the poetry might be a little hard to to discern and understand, there's a specific event that verses 1 to 8 are actually speaking about. So if you were were a Hebrew living in about 600 BC, uh, what would you remember about how God had showed up in great power in the past? What, what event would be the thing that would come to, first to your mind in all of this? Well, if you answered the Exodus, you would be correct. It's interesting. The Exodus, uh, when, when you read that book of the Bible, you need to understand that's really the story of the gospel in the Old Testament. And, and it's the story of how, how uh, Habakkuk is trying to help us remember the Exodus of how God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. So if you see here in verse 3, it says that God came from Teman, the Holy One, from the Mount of Paran. It's, it's actually retracing the steps that God led Israel out of Egypt. In verse 4, it says that his brightness was like the light. The rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. And, and this is when God had led them to the Mount Sinai. The mountain, and he had parked them there for a little bit. And Moses had gone up into the mountain and to the top and had met with God. And he came back down, and the radiance of God was so brightly reflecting off of Moses that Israel was afraid. And so, as Moses continued to go up the mountain to meet with God, he would veil his face in that, in that, in that time period. Verses five to seven, uh, Habakkuk is thinking back about. Notice he says, "Before him went pestilence, and the plague followed his heels." It's talking about all the plagues of Egypt and how God used those to demonstrate that He was the true God, and that the and that Pharaoh, who was called a god, was in fact far weaker. That the God of the Hebrews was was the real God, while while Pharaoh was not. And so we see here that the, the plagues, the, the blood, and the frogs, and the flies, and the locust, and then ultimately to, to the firstborn son being killed if there was no blood over the doorpost at Passover, and the angel of death would pass over. And it says here that it shook the na- nations in verse 6. He looked and he shook the nations. And, and then it goes on about the eternal mountains and the everlasting hills. And many times mountains are are, are actually just a metaphor for uh, for nations in this particular context. And then in verse 8, it says your wrath against the rivers and the sea. It's talking about the Nile River being turned into blood. It's talking about the parting of the Red Sea as Israel was leaving Egypt. Remember, Pharaoh changed his mind and chased him down with the army and and Israel was saved because God made a wall of water and dry land to walk through the Red Sea. And then he had that come crashing down on the the Egyptian army and defeated them in this way. All of this is to help remind us, uh, to help remember uh, what had happened in history. Because Habakkuk wants us to remember that it's God alone who saves. Israel in Egypt were slaves. They were powerless. They could not save themselves. I think an important side here is that God does not save those who think that they can save themselves. And Israel knew in that moment that they could not free themselves. It's exactly where Habakkuk's people find themselves at this moment. We're not gonna be able to conquer the Chaldeans. It's exactly where we find ourselves, even today, in the midst of dark days, so many times. The issue is that I can't actually change this. That's what makes it so dark. So so I want you to think about this. God is the one who saves. God alone saves. So think about when did God save you? Think about when you became a Christian. And that conversion experience, whether it was radical or regular, it doesn't make a difference how it all happened. Just think of the story. My story is that when I was six years old, I was about ready to begin my first year at boarding school, about 400 miles away. I had to take a plane ride, and as a little six-year-old boy, I was sitting with my parents in the evening when they would read the Bible, and we would sing, we would learn hymns and Bible songs, and. And as I was sitting there, uh, I told my parents I was afraid. I was afraid of dying and what would happen if they died or I died or any of those things. And they took the time to remind, uh, remind me again. I'm sure they would told me before that, that for those who have put their trust in Christ Jesus, there is eternal life and, and that they had that. Um, but for me, somebody who had not yet put my trust in Christ, that, that I would actually be condemned to eternity in hell apart from God and apart from them. It was really at that moment that the Holy Spirit turned the light on in in my life and I really realized that that first moment the future that I have is not the one I want. I I want the future that my parents have and not just because of my parents but I I remember distinctly like uh, the the way that I actually avoid the future of eternity apart from God in hell is that I have to repent and confess that I am a sinner and that I can't save myself because it's God who saves that I have to put my trust in His way of salvation. And He said that it was through Jesus Christ alone. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John fourteen three says. And in all of that, the Holy Spirit awakened in me the need of a Savior. His name is Jesus. And I didn't choose my family. This was not my doing. You might have a very different family and one who didn't believe in you and and that might be different. But listen, in all of that, it's not my doing. God's the one that placed me in this family. God's the one that allowed me to hear the gospel proclaimed. God's the one that at an early age brought me to salvation through Jesus Christ. God's the one that did it all. It's His grace, nothing of my own. So that's how... My salvation happened. How did yours? We're saved. God's the one who saves. Even using that word, the idea of being saved is that I'm helpless and I'm at the mercy of another person. And praise God, Psalm 40 says that that he, He unstuck me from the miry clay of my old way of thinking and He put my foot on the rock of salvation in Jesus Christ. I'm not able to save myself. And so, however you were saved, whether you were older or younger, whether it was radical or regular, God saves. God is the one who does it. So, one of my uh, favorite passages about God saving us is in Colossians chapter 2, and it's, it's on the screen here, verses 13 to 16 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Jesus Christ. What you hear over and over in this passage of scripture in Colossians is he did it, he did it. He does it. God is the one who saves. We were dead, unable in any way to accomplish this for ourselves. And God brought us to life. And if he saved you, if he saved you from yourself and from sin and from hell, don't, think, don't you think that he can also save you from whatever circumstance around you it is. He saved you from the most uh, biggest challenge in your life whatever you're facing that is massively in front of you right now is, is, is tiny in comparison to saving your soul. And listen, if there's a God who has, has triumphed over, the, over Satan and has saved us through Jesus Christ, can't he also save you in whatever the dark day is that you're facing right now? So God has saved me, and that's why we can trust and worship him. And, but in the midst of dark days, they're, they're disorienting But when I learn to sing in the dark, not not after I get out of the dark, but when I learn to sing in the middle of dark days, I am able to calm myself like a weaned child and to hope in Him. How do we do that practically? What are some practical ways that we can remind ourselves that God is the one who saves Well, I believe that there is a pattern repeated over and over in Scripture that when you face a dark day, that you should first respond and declare the the, the turmoil that's within you. That's a good and right thing. God made you with those emotions. But then you should take time to remember what He's done in the past, how He has worked previously in your life, how He's worked in history, how He's worked in biblical times, and then ultimately come to a spot uh, where you are able to uh, where you are, are able to preach to yourself the truths of God's word. So to do this, I think we need two practical things. Number one, we, uh, a practical tool is to build a library of stories to remember that you, it's important for us to take time to, to record and write down in some way stories of how God has saved. Not only our salvation into conversion and belief, but stories of how he has worked in my life and saved me from myself and from others and from circumstances. I need a catalog of stories to help me with that. And then secondly, we should have a collection of songs that help teach us that and help show us that. And church, you need to understand, part of why we sing songs in worship is not just the act of actually doing it, but it's to, re- it's to give you a collection of songs for you to have, to use, whenever you need them in the middle of a week when something is going on. One of the songs that we are singing right now that we've recently taught you is called Faithful Now. And I just want to read to you the first verse in the course because this is why we need a collection of songs. It says this. I'm holding on to faith because I know you'll make a way and I don't always understand and I don't always get to see but I will believe it. I will believe it because you make mountains move. You make giants fall. You use songs of praise to shake prison walls. That's that's Paul and Silas right there. And I will speak to my fear and I will preach to my doubt that you were faithful then and you're going to be faithful now. This is such a powerful song, such an important song for us to have planted within us that we can access that and remind ourselves, listen, I'm kind of doubting and I'm kind of struggling, but I'm going to believe God saves, God saves, God saves, I'm going to believe it. In this, we, we see that there's not just the remembering of God's saving, but there's a second thing that we need to, to, to come to rec- recognize as well. God not only rescued Israel out of Egypt, but he led them into something else. He led them into the promised land. So we don't just need to see the stories of Exodus, but we also need to look at the stories of the book of Joshua. And that's, that's what Habakkuk even does in this next section here. So, so write down the second key here. It's this. Realize that God is with us. God is with us is really the the focus of verses 9 to 12 here. This is where Habakkuk recounts the faithfulness of God as he brings Israel into the promised land. So Israel, remember, was was not only too weak to release themselves from the slavery of Egypt, but they were were too weak to even go into the Promised Land and and have the strength to conquer uh, and, and to establish themselves in that land. They were unable to do that in their own power. But what we see here in Habakkuk's song, starting in verse 9, is that that we see that God is the one that is conquering and doing the work. It says, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. It it, it talks about how God was with them as they entered into the promised land. So in verses 9 and 10, we see that God went before the people in power, and it was really his work that was doing the conquering. And it terrified the Canaanites who were there. Because they realized, and they said a number of times, we see that God is on your side. He's with you. We are so afraid because he will conquer us. At Jericho, remember, the first battle that they fought as they crossed into the land. Remember, they didn't lift a finger in the conquering of Jericho. It was God that did all of the work to cause the walls to fall so that they could enter into the city. In verse 11 it says that the sun and the moon stood still in their place and the light of your arrows as they sped then flash your glittering spear. It's actually referring to a story in the battle of the with the Amorites in Joshua chapter 10 where, where as they were in battle the sun did not go down and allowed them to rout and completely defeat the enemy armies. They would have escaped, but God supernaturally made the sun stand still and Israel won. You see, God being with you, it goes beyond just the rational understanding of how things are going to work out because God is able to do supernatural things in, in the process. Now, he doesn't do it every time supernaturally. And sometimes sometimes he allows for, like Habakkuk, uh, the country to be taken into exile. And the, the, we don't always win because God has a purpose in that as well. But when he works. And he's with us. God brings victory. And battle after battle, we see God with the people as they enter into the promised land. And and in all of that, I want you to remember something really important. The most common phrase in the book of Joshua, do you know what it is? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He repeats it over and over again why does god have to repeat the phrase do not be afraid well that was because joshua and the people continued to be afraid and and there were things to fear it wasn't just that they were weak and and disobedient it was that there were fearful things that they were facing dark days that had massive challenges and so when when they're ready to take a, a million people across the jordan river he says don't be afraid why because I'm with you. And when they get ready for the next battle, over and over, it, it says, I'm with you. Be strong and courageous, because I'm with you. The most frequent command in the Bible, not just the book of Joshua, do you know what that is? It is, do not be afraid. And that's usually closely followed by the phrase, for I am with you. And Habakkuk reminds us that God is faithful in his presence, is with us. He has not abandoned us, and he will not abandon you. No matter how dark the days get, God is not one who runs away from you. He's with you, and he stays with you, and he's always with you. Joshua, by the way, had many days where he struggled and the nation of Israel struggled. They, they lacked courage and, and they, they were afraid and, and sometimes they were rightly afraid in the battle of Ai, they, they lose because there's sin in the camp and it causes great fear among them until they're able to, to, to uh, purify themselves. We see what's called the Gibeonite deception. The Gibeonites were a, a, a people group that were there and, and Joshua failed to consult God and they were tricked. And, and no matter how dark the day got, even if they were unfaithful and they made mistakes, God over and over showed that he was with them. Even if the days were dark, even if it was dark because of their own mistake and, and their own thing, their own making, God was with them and he rescued them. And he was not just a God who was with them, he saves them. So I want you to think just personally about that, that this idea that God is with you. Just think a little bit about what does that mean for you this week? I mean, there's been some dark days as your pastor, I know of numbers of stories of events that are going on. And, and I would maybe even just start even just seven days ago when we made the announcement of how things are changing in our church. And, and, and many of us rightly have, have cried out in anguish to God. God, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. I don't know how this is going to work. And, and we have had some dark days of crisis. And in the midst of that, you need to know God is with us. God is with you. Think about Uh, the election that's going on in in the U.S. and and we need to remember that God is with us. I think about marriage issues and and some devastating things that are going on within within some relationships that are supposed to be deeply intimate and and all the turmoil that is causing. I I know of individuals struggling with, with just interpersonal demons, just deep, dark things that are going on within them. And think about that. What difference will it make to know that God is with us. This is so important because when you think that you're alone, you get afraid. And when you're afraid, you act in, in ways that are that are not spirit controlled. You act in in, in great ways of self-protection and selfishness. And, and many times that looks like retreating in things that you should not retreat in, or being too aggressive in things that you should be much more compassionate in. Oftentimes it causes depression and just a caving in of one's soul. Sometimes it's it's the lashing out of anger that happens. When you think that you're alone, you fear dark days and the walls crash down around you and you don't know if you can get out of the dark. And I think it's so important for you to realize how important it is to see that God is with you. When we read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, some incredibly important verses to remember about God and the, and the power that, that exists when God is with us. I, I don't want you to really turn there. I want you just to listen as I read because some of us are facing dark days and we just need to hear from the God who's with us. What, what does He think? And, and how does He view us in what we're going through? He says this, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You Are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. The waters meaning dark days. And when you go through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Do you feel alone this morning? you feel by yourself? You're not. (laughs) You're not is what this passage is saying. You're not is what Habakkuk is saying. God is with you and he loves you. Listen, if we're going to learn how to sing in the dark, we, we need some practical tools to help us understand God is with me. So two practical tools. Number one is this. I believe we need to share testimonies of God at work in our lives to demonstrate he's with us. One of the great uh, problems within Christianity is that we begin to uh, become deist. Somebody who is a deist believes that God exists but doesn't think that he's actively involved in the details of our lives. That he doesn't care, that he's just often some distance. He created us and just kind of turned us loose. That is a wrong understanding of God. And many times, the thing that brings us back to realize God is with us is when I hear your stories about how God has worked, not not just in saving you in the past, that's an important story, but how's God working in your life right now? How's he meeting you at your place of need? How is he showing you that he is walking with you in this moment? We need to tell each other these stories. That, that's part of what the church is for. And that's why tool number two is that you need to be involved in the church community. Don't isolate yourself. Avoid separating yourself from the community. That, that's actually going to lead you to a dark place. But when you are involved with other brothers and sisters in Christ and we can tell you the stories of how God is working and we can help you remember how God has worked in the past and we can show you scripture that encourages your soul and sing alongside you songs that build our belief in Him, that's what the church has been created for. Don't detach yourself from the body. It is an important tool to helping you understand that God is with you. So, We're remembering that God is with us. That was key number two. And remember that God is saving us. That was key number one. Uh, Let's move on to the last key here. Write this down. We need to realize that God is for us. We see this in in verse 12 of Habakkuk, uh, particularly. and, and, And in this, Habakkuk is recounting that when God's people are vulnerable and weak Every single time, it is the Lord who saves them and stays with them. Why? Why is He saving them and with them? It's because He's for them. Look at verse Look at verse 13. It says, You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. I would encourage you, like, circle the word for. You went out for the salvation of your people for the salvation of your anointed he, he repeats it the repetition is important he's for you he's for, why does he save you because he's for you why is he with you because he's for you god is with you and 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 saves you because he's for you he's saying this to israel habakkuk is he's writing this song to israel because israel is god's covenant people Hundreds of years before, God made a promise to Abraham, and he promised him land, but he promised them uh, descendants, a, a family line. And he said that family line was going to bless all nations. How? Because the promise was the promise of a Savior in the form of Jesus Christ. And God always keeps his promises. Habakkuk reminds us that God's plans and purposes will not fail, and he's for us. The one who can't fail is for you and I. This is is important to remember because we have problems believing that God is for us. Two two problems that I just want to highlight and try to get us to correct here is this. Number one, problem number one, we compare our issues with the people of the Bible and think that our issues aren't really a big deal. It's kind of odd and weird, but we read these stories and we think, well, that's them, they were holy, they're saints, those people, that happens to them. That doesn't really happen to us today. And we compare ourselves to Habakkuk and the Chaldeans, for instance, and think, well, my problem is really not that big. I mean, you might be a single person, and you're incredibly lonely right now. And that's painful and dark for you. And compared to Joshua crossing the Jordan, you think, I'm just one little individual. That was a million people. That matters more to God than than my pain alone here right now that I'm feeling. And that's not true. You might be here today, and you're married. And it's not a happy place right now. You've been fighting with your spouse, and there's just this incredible heaviness on you because you're just not in unity, and there's so much struggling that's going on. And you think, but that's not as big as like when Jesus was wrestling in the garden before he was going to take on the sins of the world. That, that doesn't really matter to God. And you're wrong. Don't read the Bible that way. You are significant. The stories that are in the Bible about Jesus in the garden and Joshua crossing the river is not meant to be there to one-up you. Rather, it's to show you how to trust God and how to worship him in the midst of the dark circumstance that those individuals were in because you too can worship and trust him in like uh, instances. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is uh, kind of a different direction we rely on ourselves far more than we rely on God. I mean, if you're kind of like me, it's kind of like you put your head down and we figure it out. And hard work, like hard work, will figure it out. And, and those kind of people have, have this problem that they rely on themselves far more than they rely on God. And the problem is that at some point, even if you have great ability in this world, you will encounter a darkness that you cannot navigate I mean, that might even be some of you right now. You realize, I can't actually overcome this darkness. And in the midst of that, you need to know that that God is for you. And actually, you might be your worst enemy. I mean, listen, no one has lied to you and disappointed you and failed you more than you. So why do we listen to ourselves and rely on ourselves so much when we know that it's God who cannot fail, God who does not fail, and that we can count on Him always and He's for us? Listen, if you're saved, God is with you and He's for you. You say, well, Pastor, how how can you be so confident about that? And I would just say, it's because the Bible reminds us of this constantly. The book of Habakkuk. I don't know if you've read the book of Habakkuk recently. Did you know that the book of Habakkuk is reminding us that God is with us and he's for us and he saves us? Uh, uh, Not just the the book of Habakkuk, but many other places. And then ultimately we see that Jesus' death and resurrection demonstrates that God is for us. And He's with us and He saves us. I, I want to just see that not only in Habakkuk, but another place in Scripture. And I would ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is such a, a sweet and important part of the Bible. And, and, and I want us to see this not just in Habakkuk, but the, one of the other places in Scripture that it talks about it. And, and let's begin in verse 28 and just read to the end of the chapter. So let's look. Let me just read. It says in verse 28 to 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Listen, he saves us. That's what those verses are saying. God saves us. We can have confidence that God is the one who is doing the work. He's done everything that he, for us. They're all working together for our good. Even if right now we're struggling with dark days, there is goodness in the completion of life. We can look forward with assurance of hope of what that is. But it goes on. It doesn't, it, like Habakkuk, it does, he doesn't just stop with God saving us. He, he tells us a second thing. Look at verses 31 to 34. It says, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So, God is for us. He doesn't just save us, but God is for us. Circle that little word right there in verse 31. If God is for us, and the answer is, He is for us. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? He will. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Nobody. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Uh, Condemnation has been taken care of by Jesus Christ because he saved us, because he's for us. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's before the Father praying for us. In all of this, we see that He not only saves us, but He's for us. God gave His own Son for us, is what we are seeing through all of these verses. He, he left heaven. He lived on earth. He took on the wrath that you and I deserved and was our substitute for us so, so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And then he, he, he died the death that we deserve, but was raised to life because he's God and has that power, and he conquers sin and death. And it says at the very end here, verse 34, he's now interceding for us. He's for us. And then the last thing, he's with us. Look at verse 35 to 39. What, who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one, because he's with us, Right? who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does your heart not want to sing now? He saves us and he's for us and now it says he's with us and nothing can separate us from that. If you've surrendered yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's impossible for you to be separated from Jesus Christ. That should cause us to sing. That should cause us to worship. That should cause us to trust God in the midst of dark days. That is how we learn how to sing, to to calm ourselves to a place of rest and quiet that we will wait in faith for Him. So in the midst of dark days, whether it's tribulation or distress or famine, whether it's financial decline, an up-and-down job situation, just simply not knowing where to get the basic resources for life. If you're at a place where you're arguing with your spouse and it's so dark, or the child, your child is rebelling and you don't have a, a, any clue of how that's going to resolve... Listen, if you're at a spot where your church is uncertain about the future, like we are right now, and it seems so dark around us, you need to know He's with us, and none of those things can separate us from Him. And so as we learn to sing in the dark, we need to realize that there is a tool that has been given to us, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, so many times things are dark around us and, and we don't look to the gospel that we have put our trust in. We look to other things to try to save us or to comfort us or to make us feel in more control. And we need to repent of those things. We need, we need to come to the stop where, spot where we... Stop listening to lies about our ability to get ourselves out of it. We need to stop listening and filling our lives with influences that say you can do it and and you have everything you need with inside of you. We need to stop our unbelief that we need God who's outside of us to rescue us. Listen, if there's any part of your life where you have been tempted and you have walked down the path of thinking that there's salvation in something other than Christ, repent of that today. Not just repent, because the gospel isn't just repenting, it's also believing. We need to believe in what God, God's word says. We need to say, I'm not gonna live by what I see, I'm living by what I hear from God's word. And God's word says, he saves, and he's with me, and he's for me, and so even though the circumstances around me are crashing over me, I believe in him, and I put my trust and hope in him. And then we have to live loved because it's not just a mental thing. It's not just an internal thing. It's something that we have to put into action. Listen, it's not faith until you begin to put it into action. It's just a kind of a a thought of good things, of right thinking. But until you actually start living it out and take the first right step to reconcile with your spouse or to lead your child to truth, or to begin to to be active in what God has told you to do and trusting him around whatever the circumstances is, until that happens, you're not living those things out. You're not living in the loved condition that God has placed you in because of the gospel. Today, we're learning how to trust and worship God in dark days. We've been trying to learn how to sing to him in the dark. Notice, not Sing after he's taking us through all the bad things. And now we feel the relief of it all. That, listen, that's a time to celebrate. There's victory that comes there. But we're learning how to sing in the middle of the dark. When, when we're in the prison and the walls are surrounding us and we have seemingly no way out. In the midst of the darkest moment, we're learning that's when we sing. It doesn't make any sense until you put your eyes on Jesus and you realize what he's told us. He saves us. He's with us and he's for us. So let me ask you three questions to maybe try to move you more into some active faith, some application here today. Let me just ask you this. Number one, what is it that keeps me from singing on dark days? What keeps you from singing? I mean, I thought of some possibilities. It might just be unbelief that's in your life that you need to repent of. It might be misplaced trust in in the things around instead of in God himself. We need to repent of that. It might be isolating yourself from community. And and that's keeping you from singing because you're alone and you're afraid. And it might be because you never learned how. And today is the first time that you're beginning that. Or, Or maybe you just don't have the tools. Whatever it is, identify what's causing that blockage and ask God to help remove that. Question number two, what practical tools do I need to add into my lifestyle to learn to sing in the dark? I mean, we've talked about a number of things here today that you need a catalog of stories to remember what God has done in the past. You need a collection of worship songs to preach to you and speak to your doubts. You need to tell testimonies of how God has been working, how he's with you and for you and saving you. And not just to remind yourself, but to help other believers around you see that same thing. You need to be together with other believers. That's God's provision to help us be in the family of God. And we need the gospel. We need to remember to repent of unbelief and to to believe what God has said and to live that actively out. And then finally, question number three is, how could you embrace these truths secured for you in the gospel that enable you to trust God and worship Him even on dark days? How can you embrace that God saves you, that He's with you, and that He's for you? Remember, Psalm 131 is where we begin. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is somebody who has learned to sing in the dark. And then the exhortation. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Hope in dark days. From this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. O oh Lord... Let not my heart be haughty and proud. I will not rage when you deny me the thing I think I need. O Lord, my eyes are not lifted up too high. I bow my head and cover my mouth. When I don't understand your purpose or your goal, I will trust. Though I may think I need the satisfaction of predictabilities in my day or a family that is just perfectly so or time to accomplish the tasks that i cherish or new health renewed health or certain temporary things that make me feel secure i will know i will know that i what i truly need is you the great soul satisfier i will rest in the arms of the one who cried peace be still i will marvel at his ability to calm the storm inside of me where is your faith, he asked. Lord, through faith, I myself will calm myself in the storm. Lord, I, I don't want to walk too high and haughty and proud. When I sing, I want to sing a song of humility. I will find that it is a song of ascending. You will set me upon the high places that I never even know existed. Oh Yahweh, the great I am, it is too incomprehensible for me. So Lord, help us to place our hopes and our expectations and our anticipations in you, the great Savior. In new ways, Lord, satisfy our souls and comfort us. In ways that we've never even known possible, Lord, bring us to sing to you in the dark, waiting on you, trusting in you, because we know that you save us and you're with us and you are for us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.